0: get nice and comfortable. I don't, what do you think? What are you going to rate these chairs after I don't know, what has it been, like six months maybe? Seven months? Um, I mean, they've held up the uh, structurally, they're, yeah. they're perfectly fine. How about fine. comfort level?
1: Comfort level? Not that great. I mean, I'll say six out of ten, <laughs> which is good, which is good. I wish there was a way to, like, adjust it more. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, hey, you know, they're gonna work for as long as they
0: don't fall apart. So mentioning that it reminded me of Jordan. So there was uh, <clears throat> this week at work there was a kid who uh, came from another site to help out and it, we got to talking apparently he he goes to a lot of local metal shows. so naturally I had to inform him of Druid, right so he he was pretty sure he had seen him. I but, bet he has. But anyway, I was like, have you heard of After the Burial? Apparently, they're like the biggest metal band to come out of Minnesota. The name sounds so familiar, doesn't it?
1: Nope. Really? I mean, it sounds like as generic as most metal bands. <laughs> something the something.
0: <laughs> but I, I was telling him about like uh, us seeing Slaughter to Prevail, which is awesome. They're very good. Hell yeah. And then... So I was showing him Druid, right? Showing him their Spotify and everything. Well, I forgot to turn it off. So when they got back in my car, fucking Druid played <laughs> on my way yeah. home, bro. Did you leave it on? Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. Oh, yeah. Th- like, honestly? It's good. It's good I music. Know.
1: It's fucking good is the thing. It's the just, Druid album is fucking good.
0: It's just sad that their egos kind of destroyed the band uh, from what I was understanding.
1: Maybe. Hmm. Or maybe Jordan. Just, you know.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, <laughs> it's he's, a uh, year
1: and he's gone, usually. For most things, <laughs> with Jordan is about a year and gone.
0: Well, hopefully, not with fatherhood. He's got passing interests. <laughs> uh, here, Amy, I, th- I think his second born is within like the next month or two, right? Second born. Yeah. The uh, the next member of the Fox clan yeah. there, old Ollie. The uh, Fox Den is growing. Yeah. Did you uh and then you did we announce that my sister had her little uh I don't know baby? if we did last week. And a little Palmer. Little Palmer. Little Palmer. Little Palmer. Oh. Palmer. Uh, the uh so I had gotten her a specific gift, right? Like I wanted to get a gift for Palmer that felt like it was from me. Why? Well, I, I was looking through all these weird sites, right? <laughs> and <laughs> so I found this it this is cute. It's gonna sound weird, but it's really cute. And then I was like, "Oh, I'll get him like this cool kind of weird baby blanket, okay, yeah, and then I ended up finding it was aliens and as- in the Sasquatch like dancing together on this blanket. It's like a collage of them or okay. like a pattern, I guess, so uh apparently they were very they liked it a lot, so I' glad they enjoyed my. Kind of Cody edition baby apparel. I, I really
1: thought you were going to say like a replica
0: Ed Gein skin blanket or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> okay, look. My sister knows I'm weird, but I'm not going to taint any of their stuff
1: yet. Here's a here's a nipple blanket for, <laughs>
0: for the baby. <laughs> Just a blanket <laughs> with like Ed Kemper's head on it. Oh my god! <laughs> Holy fuck! <laughs> yeah, but it, it's more of a baby. It's a cute baby thing with a friendly uh, alien, yeah. and a friendly
1: little Sank Squatch. Uh-huh. Well, good job, Shayna. Good G- job, Jeff. Because you
0: are in that camp. You think they're connected, right? They're the same. Yeah they're yeah. they're interdimensional mm-hmm. beings. Mm-hmm. So well, they well, might not all look the same, but we're creating. Uh, I'm hoping to put a impression on Palmer so he'll be just as weird as old Uncle Cody is when he grows up. Good. Yeah. yeah. That's so what I'm going let him for. be a fucking weirdo.
1: Don't mm. let him don't make him be a Normy Norman unless nah. he wants to be. Then yeah. he can be.
0: Right. He can be whatever he wants. That's right.
1: Mm. That's the beauty of being a baby. You still got a whole <laughs> life ahead of you to figure that shit out. <laughs> Uh, hello everybody welcome to another episode of the bumble butt podcast the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly who knows what it'll be about this week it's me my name is adam sitting across from me ever ever is cody hello hello adam how was your week oh it was good mandalorian Mm. uh, loki show Mm. Uh, we talk about that extensively in between the bumbles so we don't really need to bring it too much up here how about
0: your week Ooh, uh, it was a very busy week. We were uh, short-handed at work and there was a lot of asses that needed looking at. Yeah. Well, we it's not even close to a holiday weekend, but the, I'm fine with it anyway. Did I talk about I do not remember if last week I talked about my discovery of um the new the new thing involving uh pictures of inside of people's asses and hemorrhoids? I don't believe you did. So, did your doctor show you any of your pictures? Uh, I mean, I was awake, so I watched okay. it a bit. So, I learned there's a one picture that I always caught my eye, and when you look at it, it looks like the scope is taking a picture of itself, right? Well, apparently, when they go in and it turns right around, the little ring in a ring of your butthole from the inside is where all those damn hemorrhoids that plague you and I. Yeah. That's where they all are. Yeah. And that's what that picture is. So, and I think I pissed mine off today and that's why it reminded me of it.
1: Yeah. You got the old, uh, sandpaper yeah. butt right yeah. now. Yeah. I don't like that at all. I don't yeah. like when my butthole feels like glass shards for no reason.
0: Huh? Well, now you know where they are. Well, They're I've like... always
1: known where they are because it's little tiny, uh, pieces of your butthole that get cuts in them.
0: Well, it's, uh, it's aggravated veins, I believe as well. Uh, So, yeah, there they are. They're hiding. Your butt's kind of like a doorway. Uh, It honestly is. It is a doorway. Like, it it looks the same on both sides. It's an alien... Mm -hmm.
1: It's like a a spaceship doorway that opens up when poop's coming out. (laughs) Like, you're walking past them,
0: opens up. You know what the other interesting thing is? Every person's inside of their butthole is like a different shade of color. It's kind of interesting. Is that so? Like, different shades of purple and uh you know whatever their skin tone is well
1: i always figured it as much because yeah. we're just worms right we're all just worms <laughs> Things go in they rub against us they come out
0: well and sadly we cannot dig in well we can't eat dirt we can't eat
1: dirt we can't live off i'd the be
0: subterranean dirt. if i could to be honest with you yeah yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. basement dwellings all right
0: yeah and yeah. then i would just come up when it rains and mm-hmm. then some uh dance around yeah why I, that's such a weird thing they do well, that's that's, I
1: I think that's it activates all the nutrients in the, the soil. Hmm. Or it's a defense mechanism, but it's not a good one cuz the birds
0: can just <laughs> eat them if they're out of the ground. Yeah. Well, earthworms aren't exactly known for no. their intelligence. I wonder how deep they go. But those guys that do that worming yeah. with the oh, with yeah. the stick. I went worming with my dad. Did you? You had the big stick and everything? Well, no, no, he just he would like lay Things down right like um like a piece of metal or something then plywood it, yeah then when it rains you lift it up and the worms will all be sitting there yeah pluck them all up and then you got fishing well that's
1: good worming yeah I'm
0: talking worm calling worm calling you got to look up
1: worm calling <laughs> they they drive this giant piece of something into the ground and then they like rub a stick next to it. it's like <laughs> and the vibrations it makes like makes the worms. Pfft float up to really? the surface. yeah
0: i heard about one where this is probably illegal but the guy like shocked the ground and then they came up wow yeah, yeah that might be illegal <laughs> that might all be all right illegal. well any professional worm hunters out there yeah worm you, you come you go ahead and email us we need to hear that's right more about them The morass i wonder if anybody knows how deep a worm can go in the earth i'd love to know that as well well eventually they become tremors right I would hope so. Yeah. And then Kevin Bacon's the only one who can save us. Remember when The Mandalorian became Tremors? Um, in the first episode? Of the second season, yeah. Oh, that one. Yeah. Well, there was kind of a tremory thing in the fir- You're very right. there first. There was. Yeah, the ice, yeah, the ice, ice tremor. Yeah. Wow. Got... There's tremors all over that show. That ice tremor was sick. I'm sorry. It was, was spooky. awesome. Yeah. It's fucking awesome. Well, what even way the sand
1: dragon it? was pretty spooky, yeah, and awesome. Mm. It had acid. No, the acid glass. Are, the
0: Kate is it Kate. 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 Dragon, right? I don't know what it's called. It's something big, with a K. Big tremor. Yeah, I mean, basically, big sand, sand tremor. Rest in peace, sand people. There's a lot of they got eaten by that fucker. A lot of Indians got eaten there. <laughs>
1: Uh, Fantastic, ladies and gentlemen. So, we are going to be covering a case that gripped the nation and, uh, dare I say, the world in uh, 1924. Okay. Before we get into it, I do want to talk about the nature of Leopold and Loeb's relationship, okay? Okay.
0: Homorotic. That's the thing, all right? Okay.
1: A lot of it, since it's the 20s, there's a lot of problems here. In the... In the pamphlet called Jew Boys, Queer Boys Rhetorics of Anti Semitism and Homophobia in the Trial of Nathan Babe Leopold Jr. and Richard Dickey Loeb by Paul B. Franklin, argues that there was strong anti Semitic sentiment and a homosexual intrigue that instantly enveloped this case. From the investigation to the trial to the portrayal of the murderers in the media, he argues that because of the anti-Semitic and homophobic cultural milieu that this case, that the case unfolded in, Leopold and Loeb were portrayed as inherently homosexual because of their Jewishness and vice versa. So because they were homosexual, they were Jewish. Because they were Jewish, they were homosexual. Here's a little quote. Mm-hmm. These youths were construed in the public eye to be two Jewish teens whose Jewishness naturally predisposed them to homosexuality, a crime against nature that incited them to commit further crimes against humanity. Now, look, we'll take this one step further and we'll talk about the link between intelligence and perversion. Superior intellects such as Leopold and Loeb were said to possess was considered to go hand in hand with moral perversity, quote unquote. The end result of precocity are often perversion, at least mental and moral.
0: Mm, So was he saying the smarter you are, the more gay you are? That's exactly it. I mean, that explains Alabama, I guess, but there you go. That's also... Idiocracy.
1: Mm. Remember when he's, when he, uh, uh, Justin Long is like, you talk like a fag and your shit's all retarded.
0: Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. That's
1: so funny. <laughs> and that's basically what they're saying here.
0: That's so weird. I've never heard just because they're Jewish that. They're automatically gay. They're Jewish, smart, and possibly gay. It's like all
1: of those things are up, are working against them. Mm. And richer than creases, as we'll
0: find out. Richer than creases, okay. Yeah. Well, we know Woody Allen wasn't gay, right? We he know that. Pedo. We know this, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, With
1: Mia Farrow's adopted daughter, not even his own adopted daughter.
0: Ooh, I yeah. thought he went to Ted Nugent route and had a, uh, like... Asian, Asian. But it or, wasn't
1: his, it was Mia Farrow and somebody else's adopted daughter. And he was just like a father figure that would hang out all the time.
0: <sighs> There's nothing creepier. God, that's creepy. Oh. You know, by the way, these two's names, um, and I know I said that like a twenties greaser. These two's names. Yeah. <laughs> I I know I've heard this story before or like heard of their names, but I'm almost positive. Their last names are characters in World of Warcraft as raid bosses. Really? Leopold and Lowe? Or something close to
1: it. Wow. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, there's a lot of references in that game.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cultural references Mm -hmm. and stuff. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh it could be When a game's that huge, you you have to draw inspiration from somewhere, I'd imagine. I once we get through the story if they have any cuz they like to do like kind of similar characters to what they did, so maybe uh if they're murderers or well, obviously they're murderers or something so we'll, we'll see. Let's hear it.
1: Wednesday, May 21st, 1924, was a day like any other in the Franks residence. At 6pm, the cook had dinner prepared, and the maids were waiting to clean up the living room when the family moved to the dining room. Mrs. Flora Franks was worried about her middle son, Bobby. Her daughter, Josephine, and her son, Jack, tried to calm her down. Bobby always played baseball in the vacant lot after school, and probably went to a friend's house for dinner, or to check out a new bike or something. Mr. Jacob Franks agreed with his children. That doesn't mean he wasn't pissed, but it probably wasn't a big deal, like they were saying. Mm. How old is
0: Bobby? Bobby is 14. Okay. All right. Now he's got... Is he playing baseball by himself? No, he goes with a group of kids after school. Is there anything sadder than... Playing baseball by yourself on a vacant lot and still like running bases
1: yeah. and stuff, yeah, that's.
0: Imagine when baseball was the big, like the coolest thing in the country. Twenty four, I yeah. bet it was
1: about the coolest thing there ever was in the country. Yeah,
0: yeah I'm sure they used. Uh, yeah, basketball. When did basketball start? That's it was in. That was around there, but yeah. like it took a while to catch on. Yeah,
1: and it was boring as shit because you had to like get the ball out of the basket. They didn't have the hoop at first. It was an actual
0: basket <laughs> Madison, you had to get yeah, the ball out Football, uh, very young. Leather helmet boys still going on there. Yeah, the 20s? Yeah, probably still leather helmets Yeah, I for think sure. they still had the Chicago Bears, I think, were around then. They're Did they have old. leather
1: helmets in the first Super
0: Bowl? <sighs> well, no, the first Super Bowl wasn't until like the 60s, 60s because Yeah, because of the merger. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, the AFL-NFL. Uh-huh. So, I don't know. I just know. That? I remember they were arguing that the leather helmets are actually safer. Yeah, because you can't just go full out. Yeah. You can't
1: say, Jesus, take the wheel as I you dive headfirst into another person. <laughs> I don't know if I believe that. It's the that. same reason why rugby is certainly safer than the NFL.
0: Mm, people get hurt.
1: People get hurt in the NFL. Mm, true. People's legs get broken in half in the NFL. I've seen it. They should add more
0: milk. Alex Smith, it
1: happens to him twice a year, it seems like.
0: Uh, as as the great prophet Cole, Be- Cole Beasley said whatever happened to God's will hey, okay. no, there right you there. go
1: well God didn't intend for you to strap up with battle armor and launch into each other over a pigskin neither. You
0: do, it's God's will don't question it <laughs> it's God's will fuck Cole Beasley by the way fuck him yeah
1: fuck you Cole Beasley Mr. Jacob Franks was tremendously proud of his little family. His daughter, Josephine, had been accepted at Wellesley College, and Jack was planning on Dartmouth after graduating high school. Bobby, the little trouble-making, fast-talking scamp, was the darling of the family. As a freshman at the Harvard Boys School, he was popular. He was a member of the debate team, an up-and-coming tennis ace, and an avid golfer.
0: Hmm, I don't think any of those would make you popular anymore. No,
1: this is twenty shit Mm -hmm. here. Yeah, when you could wear little Newsies caps around (laughs) and stuff like that. (laughs) Well, if he's
0: an avid golfer, I mean, yeah. Yeah.
1: When 7 p.m. rolled around, Mr. Jacob Franks started walking around the block to the houses of the children Bobby played ball with after school. Three of the kids said the game broke up about 5.15 so everyone could get home and washed up for dinner, and they didn't think any of the boys were having friends over after the baseball game. Mm -hmm. At 10 p.m., Flora Franks sat alone and quiet every nerve in her body agitated. The rest of the children were tucked away in bed, Jacob was out and running around the neighborhood, and with the servants retired to their quarters, Flora finally could be alone to feel her emotions and freak the fuck out in her own silent way. I
0: imagine it's very unusual for the little boy not to be home, I right? And she's has to keep a stiff
1: upper lip while everybody else is around, too. You know, well, all the other kids.
0: I figured it was either she was freaking out because of her kid was gone or, like, that legal meth that the mm. housewives were taking mm. back mm. then. Those amphetamine salts. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> out of the darkness, the phone rang from the hallway. The caller spoke rapidly and clearly.
0: Flora heard every single word. This is Mr. Johnson. Your boy has been kidnapped. We have him, but... You've no need to worry. He is safe. Don't try to trace this call. We must have money. We will let you know tomorrow what we want. If you refuse us or go to the police, we will kill Bobby. The caller promptly hung
1: up, and Flora hit the floor. The maid, hearing the phone ring, was watching from around the corner and rushed to revive her with spirit of ammonia.
0: Hell yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. Get her ass up. I don't know why you said Flora hit the floor. It just kind of goes good. Flora hit
1: the floor. Hey, that's a good song. Let the Flora's hit the floor. Flora Franks hit the floor.
0: Flora, fl- Flora Franks hit the floor.
1: I can't even say the fucker. There's too many Fs in one. Too many Fs. <laughs>
0: too many Fs for me. Flora Fuckin Franks A. hits the floor. Yeah. We'll try to sing that like the dead. Flora adronic- Franks hit the floor.
1: I can't. I can't. I they said Flora Franks. Flora Flags. <laughs> <laughs> By 2 a.m. Thursday, May 22nd, Jacob and Flora Franks, along with their attorney, Mr. Edelson, made the decision to go to the police despite what the threat said. Edelson was well-connected with the Chicago PD, being close personal friends with both the commissioner and the chief of detectives. Mm. Edelson spent the meeting trying to downplay what might have happened, not wanting to be a laughing stock to his police contacts should Bobby walk through the door tomorrow morning. Even the police decided that the smart move, and really the only move, was to put a trace on the phone line and wait for further instructions from the kidnapper. Mr. Franks had already done a more thorough canvassing of the neighborhood than the police would have done anyways. So, I would have never guessed in the 20s they could do a trace? I guess you can, because it's all operator-based, right? So, they kind of have to know where the
0: call's oh. coming from. Okay, yes, I suppose... Those ladies smoking in that room yeah. can probably tell. Where... My granny used to do that. Really? She was a
1: switchboard operator for a while. You Does know. she like it? I don't think so. Hmm.
0: I think, uh, uh, yeah, I don't think Sounds so. awful, to be honest with you. Okay, operator, can I, play, can I do you call? I don't know how it works. I don't know if you ever call like a big hospital and you get the operator for whatever department you need. They never sound happy. No, no. They're just like, you're like, can I get the throat? doctor and it's like Mm -hmm. it's like fuck (laughs) off get out of here
1: at 8am a a special delivery letter arrived at the Franks residence in one sense the ransom letter provided some relief to the parents it proved that little Bobby was still alive
0: and issued instructions for his safe recovery secure before noon today $10,000 this money must be entirely comprised of old bills of the following denominations 2020s 8,050s. Any attempt to include new or marked bills will void this entire venture. Have the money prepared and remain at your home until 1 p.m. when you receive a phone call for more instructions. If you tell anyone, we will kill your boy. If you follow these instructions to the letter, you will receive Bobby six hours after we receive the money. So, Just by the letter, you can tell they're not stupid. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Very perceptive
1: of you, Cody.
0: Mm -hmm. Usually kidnappers, counting bills, might not be their specialty. there. They might be drug addicts or something (laughs) like that. You know, they're not
1: worried about this kind of stuff. Or, in the worst case scenario, they're pedophiles, and Mm -hmm. they're not writing ransom letters because they're doing what they do and then getting rid of it.
0: Honestly, I'm going to be real with you. I. Firm. I was in the camp that uh, most kidnappings, they just kill the kid right away, try to get the money. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Maybe, Maybe that'll play out. I don't mm. know. We'll see.
1: Well, the Franks family and Edelson felt an immediate warm wave of relief wash over them. This wasn't a child molester, as they'd feared, but instead a professional kidnapping outfit. All they'd have to do was part with a paltry $10,000, and Bobby would be returned safe and mm. sound.
0: Yeah, that's probably not much for them, huh?
1: It's nothing for them. Okay. It really is nothing for them. Several miles from the Franks residence lay the Wolf's Lake Forest Preserve. Established in 1914 with a beautiful piece of anachronistic legislation, the preserve had grown to 20,000 acres of fully protected wetland, marshes, and all the natural beauty of Illinois before it was raped by the white man. Mm. Tony Minky lived on the edge of the preserve and usually wouldn't take the path through at home from his overnight job at the factory. On the morning of the 22nd, however, after clocking out for the morning, he had to go collect his watch from the repair shop, and that was the fastest path.
0: I don't have a good feeling about Mr. Minky here. You, You don't? Me neither.
1: As he passed a large ditch on his left, the sun peeked out from the early morning clouds at his back and what looked like a child's foot was illuminated, sticking out of a large drainage pipe. Ooh. Mr. Minky bent down to inspect further, and sure enough, a child's body was lying naked and face down in about a foot of muddy water. Minky spotted four men in the distance, railroad workers slowly pumping on a handcart on the adjacent rail line. He climbed the embankment and got them to stop. He approached them in a very nervous state.
0: Look, there's something in the pipe. A little foot sticking out.
1: The five men pulled the body out of the culvert and <laughs> laid him on his back. It was super
0: obvious straight Ooh. off the bat that he was moitered. Why are they touching it? Because guess the I guess railroad <laughs> ro- workers, they don't know any better. but like we Even con- still, like... We got to contaminate everything. Like, how dirty are they, too? Ugh. Holy Ugh. shit. They probably got railroad spikes all over their body. Ugh. Jesus Christ. Rail dust Just everywhere. shit
1: everywhere. Ugh. There were two deep gashes in the boy's forehead, each an inch long, and on the back of his head was severe bruising and swelling. Running from his shoulder blades all the way down his legs were long, deep scratches, and the most peculiar thing they noticed was the appearance of the face. There were copper-colored stains around the mouth and chin, and the genitals were stained the same color.
0: What the hell? That's weird. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly we know these injuries aren't from him sliding into thirds. So. Certainly not. Um, not the vacant lot So the lot baseball injuries. is out of the equation <laughs> yes. right now. Yes, it is, detective. Uh, copper stains. I, I can understand what you could be leaning on towards the mouth and chin, right? A rag or something sure. like that. The genitals. genitals, Okay, I don't. What? What do they do? What's it doing down there? I
1: I guess we're gonna have to find (laughs) out. The foreman of the rail workers looked over the scene for any more evidence, possibly the boy's clothes, but found nothing except a pair of tortoise shell eyeglasses, which he passed along to the police when they arrived.
0: Were they like literal shells? No, but they—they're. That's
1: the design. They're called, oh. called tortoiseshell glasses. I've so. never
0: understood why cats are called that with that that certain color pattern. Never gotten that. Oh, it's where it's like a black calico. Kind yeah, of. yeah, yeah.
1: Well, that may, yeah, because tortoiseshells are kind of.
0: They don't have black, yellow, Yeah, orange. but they're
1: rough looking. They're like True. rumpled. <laughs> I don't know what it's called.
0: They look like tortoiseshell. Have I told you I've been considering to go going straight glasses um just getting dumping contacts yeah kind of tired of them honestly they seem
1: convenient but also bullshit annoying yeah like
0: you get a lasik
1: Uh, i would it's expensive it should be a uh, insurance coverable that's all i
0: imagine apparently it's considered a uh elective surgery elective fuck you
1: by 11 a.m the body was laid out at the
0: morgue the
1: undertaker stanley olenichek Noticed the unusual discoloration around the face and genitals, and the huge gashes on his head, and knew without going any further that this child had been beaten to death mercilessly. And they were going to need
0: the medical examiner. Isn't isn't that his job? He's the morgue guy. He's okay. like funeral guy. He's just, he's just like the creepy crip keeper looking ass motherfucker.
1: Mm-hmm. I suppose they needed somebody to look at it, and he was okay. around. Okay. All right. Back at the Franks residence, Jacob had spent the morning in downtown Chicago collecting the 10000 in old worn bills. The request shocked the teller, but he didn't say shit, as it wasn't his place to question a customer such as Mr. Franks. The family huddled around the telephone, waiting for the 1 p.m. call from the kidnappers, but it never came. As 2 o'clock approached, something felt wrong in the already wrong-feeling situation.
0: Do you think you could request old bills today? I don't think so. I I think they're going to turn you away. I think they're going to say,
1: you can have it in whatever we give (laughs) it to you in.
0: I'll have bills from every year. Do not give me them from
1: 72.
0: No sequential (laughs) bills. I think they'll just say, go fuck off. Yeah, use your ATM card, asshole.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Jacob sat in his armchair looking a million miles away with Flora at his side, silently sobbing. Reporters started calling the house. Some gossipy telephone operator had leaked the trace on the phone line to the press. One that got through from the Chicago Daily News was badgering Mr. Edelson about a body found by the Wolf's Lake Nature Preserve. Of course this wasn't Bobby, Edelson said. That boy was found wearing glasses, and Bobby had never worn them a day in his life. As a precaution, Edelson turned to Flora's brother, Bobby's uncle, to travel with the reporter down to the morgue just to confirm that the body wasn't Bobby. And if by some chance it was Bobby, the uncle should only say one word when he calls. Yes,
0: because the gossipy fucking operators could not be trusted. I mean, they're pounding drinks, they're smoking cigarettes, get a little loose lipped. They got those, uh, mm. those big perms in their hair. Yeah, probably getting stoned off of hairspray. You know, oh, you get enough certainly. of those big ass haircuts in one room; those fumes, quite potent. No wonder global warming is happening. They <laughs> From the th- old... all those fucking hairsprays. <laughs> How flammable was that room? Honestly, you're, I'm half surprised they didn't start that room on fire with that much, that many cigarettes and that's hairspray.
1: What, that's what spontaneous combustion is. Yeah, it's just hairspray <laughs> gone wrong. <laughs> 30 minutes later, the phone rang, and Edelson heard the one word he didn't want to hear. Yes. The phone clicked. Edelson walked over to Jacob Franks and whispered to him that the worst had happened. At that exact
0: moment, the phone rang again. The lawyer picked it up. It was the kidnapper. This is George Johnson speaking. There will be a yellow cab at your door in 10 minutes. Get into it and proceed immediately to the drugstore at 1465 East 63rd Street.
1: What the fuck? Their boy was dead, and somehow the kidnapper still wanted ransom money? Was this some kind of sick joke? Jacob was so exhausted that, after he hung up the phone, he completely blanked on the address. He had been up for 36 hours straight and was now facing the daunting process of breaking the news of her dear Bobby's death to his mm. wife.
0: I have a feeling the kidnappers aren't aware They have already found the body.
1: (laughs) That's exactly correct.
0: (laughs) Because they seem like a couple of
1: numbskulls. (laughs) The taxi pulled up just as the phone had said it would, but with no address, the lawyer Edelson went up and paid the cabbie before watching him drive away, their last hopes of seeing Bobby alive disappearing in the exhaust smoke. The hunt was on for the killer slash killers. The chief of Chicago PD, Morgan Collins, was a political appointee. He was not fluent on police procedure and honestly was put in place as a figurehead to come down hard on the illegal booze business, which of course was rampant in Chicago. Chief Collins knew a crime like this would divert attention away from the rum runners and illegal distillers, so he made a grand statement to the press.
0: The children of our schools must be protected at all costs. We intend to hunt down the slayers. If it takes every man in this department, I have supplied my best detectives and told them I will supply everything they request. Nothing is off limits. They can have as many men as they want. Ooh, sexy. sounds like it. Honestly, it sounds like the cover of a Phoenix Saint, a Phoenix Saint, a <laughs> <laughs> gay porno, right there. A like ph- honestly, it kind of does. <laughs> it's brutal. It does though. It's, so everything's on they yeah. want to catch this motherfucker yeah, yeah. just uh so it's like a pr stunt kind of for him it is mm. it's a
1: perfect diversion it is it really is
0: so they really put a cop in there who had no idea about anything he's just a figurehead
1: Oh, uh, that's called being a police chief mm, okay watch the wire you'll see
0: <laughs> what about that one police chief whose ears smoke from last action hero that was my favorite movie, Police Chief. You ever seen Last Action Yeah, Year? I have. But is it Burrell, the black one? Yeah, 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 yeah. And his fucking sure. steams yeah. coming out of his ears. That's right. That, that is, is awesome. a good movie. That is a good movie.
1: <laughs> it's like what happens with the, when the movie becomes real life. You know, <laughs> Collins already had his eye on a pool of suspects: the faculty at the Harvard Boys School. His reasoning was straightforward. They had the most access to Bobby. They knew the family, and they knew that 10000 was nothing to Jacob, but was life-changing money for a teacher whose average salary was $2,000 a year. Ooh,
0: say, damn, there it's Five years' salary. I was going to say, um, teacher salary, not that far off from uh, what it was back then. We're Sad still true. in those days. Yeah, you know? pay the
1: fucking teachers. Nobody wants to do that job, so pay the ones that do want to do that job. Yeah, exactly. Would you want to hang out with children all day, Cody? No, I'd kill the children. I would kill them. It wouldn't work for me. Because I was an asshole in school. I can't imagine.
0: Yeah. Yeah, God. No, no, thank you. No thanks.
1: Especially not ones that are about to be little shithead adults (laughs) like high school. (laughs) Those are the worst. Fuck those kids. (laughs) Another reason they suspected the teachers was the ransom letter was flawless, Mm, like you said. Yeah. No typos or grammatical errors in the entire document. Hugh Sutton, a type expert for the Royal Typewriter Company, examined the letter and assessed it had been composed on an Underwood typewriter that was less than three years old, and the typist had used two
0: fingers only. The person who wrote this letter never learned the touch system. The touch system strikes all the keys evenly, with an even pressure on the keys. The man who wrote this was a novice at typing... Some of the letters were punched clean through the page, while others were struck lightly with uncertainty. Wow, he's kind of like roasting this guy about Definitely. his typing skills. Because well, he's a hunter pecker. He <laughs> hunter yes. pecks. He doesn't know the home key. I love it's... how old people still do this. Like old people at work still like the two fingers. You mean my dad? Does he? He's oh, the two yeah. finger guy. Oh, yeah. He never oh, learned boy. how to type, and he never will. Oh, but they do that method on when they're texting, too. It's kind of fun to yeah. watch. And they
1: know where all the keys are, too, so I don't know why they don't just learn the home row.
0: I don't know. I don't know.
1: It's ridiculous. The kidnapper had written Jacob's address in block letters. Handwriting experts concluded it was untraceable, but it was the penmanship of a capable writer. Mm. You remember the block letters from uh, the
0: Jinx or Jinx? I never watched that. Oh, you should watch Jinx. I That's the... Bobby Durst. Yeah, where he goes crazy in the bathroom or whatever. You should do that. I should, should watch, watch that.
1: that. You have HBO, so I go do. Ahead.
0: <laughs> I need to fire that bad boy out. Okay, what are block letters then?
1: Like uh, big capital letters, right? Oh. So that's all you're writing in is big okay. capital letters. All right. Since the kidnappers were educated and literate, this was not the work of black hand kidnapping gangs that were often used by Italian organized crime. Mm. Around 3 a.m. on the 23rd, Collins started rounding up the teachers and janitors at the Harvard (laughs) Bull School. (laughs) Janitors? They aren't writing as good as teachers. Come on. Fortunately for them, they all had alibis for the night of the murder. Well, fortunately, except for being held for four days and being beaten regularly to try and force a confession. Yeah,
0: sounds like uh, something they do to a janitor. That sounds like some Irish police in Chicago there, yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) The teacher's lawyer filed a writ of habeas corpus, thankfully, on Monday, May 26th, alleging police brutality. There was no reason to keep them
0: that long. The judge rightly stepped in. Under the law. These men are entitled to their liberty. There's no escape from it. He's almost like upset
1: about it. He's mm. saying they they are entitled to not be in jail and beaten yeah. when mean, they when you can't prove they've committed a crime.
0: I mean, when you look at somebody who's been beaten with potatoes and socks, like oh, I know, it's kind of I brutal. Know. I know. You know what I mean?
1: Like uh, Bing Crosby, you know. <laughs> He used to beat his kids with oranges and shit. Oranges? Oh, he's from Florida. So you don't—they uh, don't leave a mark, you know. Ah, okay. Well, you think a grapefruit would be more? And that's why you beat people with phone books too, because it doesn't leave a mark.
0: Really? Yeah. Okay. What about soap in a sock? I don't know if soap party leaves a leaves a leaves a leaves a mark. Mm. I imagine if you did like a potato party, that would probably work. Mm. Yeah. They're kind of soft, depending on how. Ripe they are. I don't know. I just assume... Rubber
1: hose, too, apparently doesn't leave a mark.
0: I don't want to get hit with
1: any of these things. No, it sounds terrible. Mm. But that's... Those abusers, they're sick people. They're sick people. (laughs) Right. The lawyer Edelson was furious. He was dead set convinced that it was one of the teachers, and in a rare burst of anger was quoted
0: saying this to the Chicago newspapers. At least two instructors plotted to kill Bobby Franks. One of them snatched him and the other wrote the perfect letter demanding 10K from the family. The instructor who wrote the letter was a cultured man with perverted tendencies. The man who committed the actual crime is a man who needed money with mercenary motives. What does that even mean?
1: Well, mercenary just means does stuff for money. It's been conflated to mean... W- warrior for money, okay, but it definitely doesn't. Well, if you're doing something for mercenary intents, it's for money, money. So purposes.
0: what? How do you explain Resident Evil for mercenary mercenaries
1: mode? mode? Well, that is using it in that okay. in that way because I don't
0: think there's money
1: involved. Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner was also a mercenary. Okay, he was Norway's greatest son. What if you've he? ever heard the Warren Buffett song, you should listen to the song, Roland, the Headless <laughs> Thompson Gunner. It's good.
0: Norway, 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 Norways. Norways, Okay. And he wasn't a whaler or some shit.
1: No, he went to uh, South Africa to fight in the war, Mm. and he was the best at it.
0: Okay. Well, as a mercenary, interesting for a Norwegian man. It is kind of, but Mm.
1: uh, they are a warrior species, a warrior culture. They're kind of Mandalorian. Not anymore. Come on, (laughs) it's in their fucking blood. Don't tell me it's not. Edelson's tantrum unwittingly mirrored investigators' frustrations. One week after the murder, they still had Ugats. Sure, they had leads, clues, hunches, theories, and suspects, but no arrest. What about the kidnapper's motive? Was the killing of little Bobby Franks a revenge act against Jacob for a bad business deal? Mm. Jacob was an incredibly reputable pawnbroker with a sparkling clean record, but still, In the pawn business, you're sure to run into shady sorts like pimps and gamblers. Who knows if one of them held a grudge over
0: some perceived slight. I mean, you see the guy from the Pawn America commercials, I'm pretty sure he's killed some people. Pawn America? The police took the investigation
1: down the dark but obvious path of rounding up pedophiles and other known sexual deviants. That means gay people too, of course. Mm. Chief Collins announced the
0: general order to... Arrest all persons known to be perverts. Those who have ever been charged with or convicted of any and all. Unnatural
1: acts. The Chief Justice of Cook County, John Caverly, signed off on the dramatic order. The kidnapper, Justice Caverly decided, was certainly a mental defective who had taken Bobby Franks with the intention to rape him. But would a molester actually attempt to get a ransom? Would a freak so desperate to rape a child really call the family's home, arrange a cab, and mail a ransom letter? It was all possible, but the state's attorney had never heard of such a thing and thought they might be chasing the wrong goose here. This is from State's Attorney Crow.
0: It isn't to be considered tenable that the boys' attackers were perverts. They wouldn't have bothered sending a cab and letter to complicate things. State's
1: attorney Crowe believed the murder was simply a ransom case gone awry. He postulated that this was the result of cocaine addicts working for a criminal mastermind that abducted Bobby Franks. There was no evidence to support this theory, of course. But Crowe knew if he included illegal drugs, it would send the federal agents running to Chicago, opening up a much larger budget and scope of investigation.
0: This is kind of like if you say something is involving terrorism nowadays. Exactly. Sends them in. Um. Yeah, okay. Cocaine addicts, maybe. I could see that. That was pretty fun. This is a fun time for the cocaine addicts. I he- can't remember when morphine gets real popular. <laughs> uh, how about this? He does have a good point, though. I mean, you couldn't see Albert Fish writing a ransom letter, no, right? No, no. Like- Wait, I mean... He'd write a pervert letter, not a he ransom letter. He did write a letter. pervert letter. Yeah, exactly. He wrote yeah. a pervert
1: letter that's basically taunting them for having a dead
0: kid. Yeah. Not asking for money. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's pretty clear. And remember we talked about during Albert Fish, not only was the world like full of pervert or like, I don't want to say perverse pedophiles, but uh, it seemed like kidnapping was huge. Gigantic. It huge. was good business. Mm. It was good business. Yeah. People pay to have their kid back,
1: and if they don't, it's easy to kill a kid. Right, right. Whether or not cocaine addicts were involved was of little consequence. Every investigator believed that ransom was certainly the motive. On Monday, May 26th, the Franks held a private funeral service for Bobby in their home. It had to be private or else it would have turned into a media service. Already every day since the kidnapping, hundreds of sightseers had been gathering near the house, hoping to catch a glimpse of the poor mother or father through the cracks in the curtains.
0: Nothing really changes, does it? It's all the same. Always (laughs) that.
1: Only the names will change. Yeah. Every day, I feel I'm wasting away. (laughs) That's Bon Jovi. Oh, I thought it was Chris Cornell. Anyway. I mean, why could be? (laughs) The investigation seemed to be at a standstill. Only one promising clue remained the tortoise shell glasses found at the crime scene during the first week it gradually came to detectives that these were not only the most important clue but seemed to have been left for them by the investigation gods hmm. the lenses in them the lenses in them could only be obtained with a prescription somewhere there was an optician who could match these glasses to his records and solve this case as it turned out however the prescription was the most common one Given to anyone with astigmatic far sightedness. Mm, okay, I think that's what I have. That, me too, actually. Is it? Okay. The prescription alone wouldn't be enough, but what about the frames? Could mm. they hold the answer? I have to go to Lens Crafters. Well, yes, <laughs> they were made out of Newport Xylonite, a new artificial composite. No Chicago companies manufactured Xylonite. It was made only in Brooklyn. And there was only one optician in all of Chicago that sold those frames. The Almer Co.
0: Company. (laughs) We identified the glasses as a type sold by us and not any other Chicago dealer. The lenses had markings used only by us. The lenses are not unusual. Their measurements are average in every way.
1: But they had markings on the lenses that were used only by their lens cutters.
0: Mm Okay, so this really narrows it down.
1: That's right. Average in every way was a bit of a tough pill to swallow, but state's attorney Crowe could still feel the net tightening on the murderers gradually. That Thursday, the clerks at Almer Co. went all hands on deck to perform the arduous search through the company files to find distinctive frames filled with common Mm, lenses. Sounds like a bad Friday. Sounds shitty. Yeah. Nobody would have guessed anything out of the ordinary about the two young men piling into a red Willie's Night automobile on the University of Chicago campus at 11 a.m. on May 21st, 1924. Nathan Leopold was six months older than his passenger Richard Loeb, and the two had been neighbors and co-conspirators for the last four years. Leopold and Loeb had been gassing each other up for the last seven months, and after all their careful planning, in their minds, they were about to commit and get away with the perfect murder. Their destination this early afternoon was a car rental store to pick up a vehicle under the name Morton D. Ballard. (laughs) Two weeks previous, the pair had concocted the new identity by going into a bank at closing time, convincing the elderly teller that he was a traveling salesman from Peoria, and after a few minutes of paperwork, Leopold left the bank with documentation giving proof of his new identity as Morton T. Ballard. Mm.
0: The traveling salesman from Peoria <laughs> works every time. <laughs>
1: Two days later, on May 9th, Leopold went to the car rental store for the first time in order to establish credit with the Morton Ballard ID. He laid down a $400 deposit, which is $6,298 today, and a copy of his bank account info, and wouldn't you know it, he became an instant-valued and trusted customer. Honey talks. Absolutely. When the pair rolled up on May 21st, 1924, they were fast-tracked through the rental procedure, and they rented a Green Willy's night. Leopold drove the rental, while Loeb drove Leopold's fancy car. They drove to a local diner for a light lunch and finalized their plans for murder. <laughs>
0: you, gotta have, you gotta finalize those plans over lunch, dude. Absolutely. Quick hot dog, mm-hmm. and get, we'll
1: hit the road. <laughs> Leopold's IQ was reported over 200, and Loeb's was over 160. Who knows if that's a spin or whatever, but we do know for certain that they were bright boys, and they would openly talk about the idea of committing a perfect murder as if it were a math or physics problem that simply needed a solution. Mm. These boys were real edge lords of the day as well, becoming ardent followers of Nietzsche, who preached that for most people codes of morality should be followed, but exceptional people should follow their own compass, his famous phrase being become what you are. They were going to prove to the world that they were exceptional. They were going to commit one murder so perfectly, no one could ever solve it.
0: Okay, I thought Nietzsche was a pianist. No, he
1: is a nihilist.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha.
1: Close. Pianist, nihilist, they're close. I
0: mean, yeah, they're both pretty edgy. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. <laughs>
1: Nathan Leopold Jr. was the youngest of four children and born in Chicago, November 19th, 1904. His father was huge in the cardboard box and aluminum canning business, and the family's net worth was $5 million, which is $75,250,000 today. Coming from a very wealthy family, Leopold was raised by three different governesses and not his mother. Huh, okay. Is that still a thing, you think? Uh, No. Okay. I think the, the, the nanny system, the governess system, has kind of fallen by the mm, wayside. Okay. His first two years of education took place at a predominantly girls' school, and he was incredibly unpopular and couldn't even make friends with the only other boy in the school. At the age of seven, he was transferred to the public elementary school, where he was teased mercilessly as he was the only kid who had a governess accompany him to school.
0: Wait, she sat there with him? Oh, Yeah. While he was at school. She sat
1: in on the note because she was his tutor as well. Oh, okay. That's awkward. Very. Mm. Apparently, one of them also bathed with the children. Oh, no. Come on. Not kidding you. That's a little weird. It's a lot weird. Mm. The Leopold family quickly moved to the wealthy Hyde Park area. Here, he attended the Harvard School for Boys, and it was noted by most of his teachers that he was the brightest pupil in class. At 15, he met and fell in with Richard Loeb. They were direct opposites almost all the way down the line. Loeb was good-looking and very outgoing, constantly trying to get the conversation centered around himself. Nathan Leopold, on the other hand, was certainly the brighter of the pair, but was considered ugly, and certainly a shut-in and binge drinker.
0: It kind of reminds me of uh, Dylan Harris and the fucking other one. And Klebold? Yeah, Klebold. It's kind of a... An odd couple, but a couple of psychos. Yeah. Right? One's like the smarter one, one's the uglier one. Very weird. Well, they're innocent, though, aren't they? Who? Harris and Cleveland. <gasps>
1: Never mind. Those no. are the Columbine kids. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking the West Memphis fucking three.
0: No. I was like, Jesus Christ. like, holy shit. No. The Columbine kids are innocent. I'm talking- <laughs> I don't think so, dude. Well, you just I- got to read this QAnon website. <laughs> I bet on. There's <laughs> actually two Obamas who took the shape shit. of
1: them. I thought, yeah. At first, I thought that was the West Memphis three. <laughs> <laughs> I was like,
0: yeah, there's some pretty damning video footage of. Ah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> whoopsies listen I got a lot going on in my head that's right now. that's okay
0: that's all right
1: I get people confused here we go like a lot of lifelong bonds the pair didn't get along at first but soon enough they were super glued to each other Richard seemed to be the alpha in the duo Richard Loeb was born June eleventh, nineteen 1905, in Chicago. His dad was once an uber-successful attorney, but was now the vice president of the Sears Corporation.
0: Wow, okay. I mean, still, big dick in it right there. Both
1: these kids, mm. so rich. Their families are just, uh, you can't even imagine how wealthy they are. Mm. Richard Loeb was given a very pushy governess when he was growing up. She forced him to get ahead in his schoolwork. So much so that he graduated at 14 and entered the University of Chicago. That's where the pair met. Nathan Leopold entered the U at the age of 15.
0: It's like um, the young Sheldon gay couple edition. It's like uh, Real Genius. Real Genius. (laughs) What is that where that little... What's the one where that little the little uh black kid goes to school with the high schoolers what the hell was that show called was that little genius
1: no no real genius was uh val kilmer
0: okay but do you remember that sitcom where like the kid was like eight and he's going to school with his older brother who was like a senior in high school because he was so smart god that sounds so familiar i don't know somebody will reach out to us yeah they will
1: The pair enjoyed committing petty crimes together. For instance, Loeb's mother drove a battery-operated car, and Loeb learned that her key worked in just about any similar make vehicle. He and Nate would often joyride cars until they ran out of juice in the 11 lead-acid batteries. Wow.
0: Okay. it's
1: a lot of cars there. I know. In 1921, they transferred together to the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor. They roomed together for a while, but eventually, Loeb wanted to join a frat. It was against the bylaws at the time for Jews to join Gentile houses, so he pledged to the Zeta Beta Tau, an all-Jewish frat.
0: Zeta Beta Tau. Okay.
1: Now these frat boys were certainly convinced that Loeb and Leopold were gay. They were fucking. Mm. They were unnatural, unhealthy relationships.
0: Look, I'm gonna be real with you. I'm kind of convinced of that. This is like a, um, what's the movie with the two girls who drive off the cliff together? felman and Louise. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I'm thinking yeah. of right now. They'll drive their little night. Car off of the cliff while kissing well, each other.
1: Loeb's admission to the to the frat was based on cutting ties completely with Leopold. Mm. At one point, they were found in bed together. Okay. Mm. All right. Outwardly, after that incident, the two appeared ice cold to each other, sneering at each other if they saw each other in public. But they were still secretly drinking together almost every night. Hell
0: yeah! Well, you know what happened, yeah. <laughs> have a few drinks with the boy you get you yeah. you you play hide the hide the sausage hide the pecker did you ever watch um rescue me yeah, with Dennis Leary yeah yeah do you remember the one like the younger guy where him and his roommate started blowing each other but they 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 kept saying i'm not gay i'm just helping you out dude i don't remember that <laughs> she i remember was when funny. the one
1: guy got the cock ring <clears throat> stuck on oh, i do yeah. remember that
0: yeah <laughs> Not a bad show, kind of funny. It is pretty funny. In 1923,
1: Loeb graduated University of Michigan at age 18 and moved back to Chicago to start law school. Leopold followed suit, and the two were better than ever, no longer having to hide their friendship. One of their favorite new hobbies was to find a half brick and smash all the windshields they could before hopping in their boosted car and speeding away. Mm. One night after the cops almost snagged them, Loeb pulled out the key to the frat house he'd never turned in and the pair drove 300 miles to Ann Arbor. They arrived well after dark and Loeb quietly slipped the key in his former fraternity house door. There was a dog inside, but Loeb began to stroke his ears and he just waved his happy little tail. Leopold and Loeb moved from room to room, rifling through pockets of the sleeping frat boys. They walked away with less than $100 cash, but they stole something that would play a major role in their murder an Underwood typewriter.
0: Okay. Is this like a nice typewriter or is this like a basic typewriter? The Underwoods were like the creme de la creme. Okay. Like, and that,
1: if you, that was the uh, uh, iMac of the day. You know how all these college kids have their iBooks yeah, or whatever they're yeah, called? Yeah. Yeah. Apple Books. I right. don't know what okay, they called.
0: Okay. Now, is this where like, the lineage of Carrie Underwood came from. I believe this
1: is Carrie Underwood's great, 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 (laughs) great, great grandfather.
0: (laughs) Ran a typewriter. They hit hard times when Bill Gates came on the scene there, didn't he? Um, Or I guess when would the computers uh, or the uh, typewriters kind of went out?
1: There were word processors before, like, computers, right? Mm, Right. I'm not sure. Like, just a basic word program that was hooked up, you know?
0: the th- the problem is you got a typewriter okay you can s- when you're smoking your ash can fall cuz there's a very deep pit that they go into like modern computers it's going to clog up the keys kind Oh, of, yeah. uh kind of put a damper in smoking and typing
1: yeah but back then yeah. you could smoke forever
0: yeah That would take a long time to fill up the bottom of that typewriter with ashes. No question. You You could spill drinks in there and be Mm -hmm. fine. I'm sure Ernest Hemingway did. (laughs) Oh, was he known to have a drinking
1: problem? (laughs) Yeah, one or two. One (laughs) or two writers were known to have drinking problems, yeah. In 1924, as we all know, Prohibition Mm -hmm. was in full effect. Obviously, that didn't stop people from imbibing, and the two were getting drunk every night to plot their crimes and push each other down the path of nihilism. It took seven months of hard drinking to plan the murder. Initially, Leopold wanted to kidnap a woman to rape and kill her as he'd seen photos from G.I.s that came back from World War I. Finally, they settled on a little boy since generally they weren't being constantly supervised the way little girls were. And since they were going for kidnapping with ransom, who would ever suspect two filthy rich young men of noble families asking for a
0: $10,000 ransom? nobody nobody I I mean I think I'm picking up where you're going these are just just two straight up assholes yep. honestly right two real
1: rich boy fucking mm. it's like Kelly was we were talking Kelly and I because she's you know done a lot of this work for me mm-hmm. I actually had to run the gay thing by her because there's so many conflicting reports like writings at the time, they omit it because of how evil it was. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Being gay was not cool whatsoever back then. Mm -hmm. You would rather be almost anything else than labeled as gay. And if you were gay and Jewish and smart, holy shit, they were going to hang you from a a tree. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, coming from the modern brain, um, look, I know people are friends. They hang out a lot. Two dudes can hang out a lot. But this just seems like activities that two just Male friends might not do together. exactly, um, But it's like I was out. saying
1: with Kelly, these fucking rich kids that mm. would have definitely grown up to be executives if they weren't caught in companies. It's like, so what it, all executives are that, but they didn't get caught. That's what I think. That's you my You think theory. all
0: executives are gay?
1: Not gay. Oh. Evil killers. Oh.
0: Sociopathic yes, fucking yes, killers. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I could see that. I could definitely see they that. They just didn't get caught. Mm. In Leopold's 1958
1: autobiography, Life Plus 99 Years, which we almost had, uh, uh, Kelly almost had a copy, but they canceled the order on her because they couldn't
0: find it. It was a $70 book. Ooh, damn. I imagine if it's uh, that old, then yes. Probably is quite expensive. Not too many copies out there, no. I guess.
1: And of course, the assholes don't have a e-book. <laughs> In that book, he refuses to acknowledge the murder itself, but he did talk about the planning in detail. As we already know, the pair established the alias Morton D. Ballard and rented a Willie's night. The reason they did this was Leopold's car was red and too fancy with flashy rims in a time when most cars were just straight black. Okay, all right, that makes sense. There were two phases to this perfect crime, according to the autobiography. The first was to kidnap and murder the boy, and the second was to collect the ransom. For months, the ransom was the sticking point in their plans. How could they collect it without being seen? They turned it into a game, working backwards, and found their solution. When they returned from dumping the body of whoever their victim was going to be, they would place a note on a specific public garbage can, and place another one hidden in a public transit train. They would then immediately mail a letter to the victim's family, demanding ransom, and to await further instruction. The next day, they would go to a payphone at a pharmacy, order a taxi, and send it to the victim's house. They would call the residents from the drugstore and give them the address to the garbage can where the note would be taped. Once the dad read it, that's what they were going for the father of whoever the victim would be. Okay. Once the dad read it, it would instruct him to get on a certain train within minutes and in a hidden spot, he'd find the next note. The note on the train would instruct him to run to the back of the train and throw the case with $10,000 towards the Champion Automotive Building where Leopold and Loeb would be waiting in the alley. Okay. It was like a Jason Bourne thing they made to like as soon as he were to get the note off of the train he would have to sprint to the back and that's exactly where he would see the big champion sign and he would throw the
0: case towards the alley okay i feel you know what i get the 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 plan but i'd say for the everyday person in a panic about doing this might be hard to follow those Direct instructions. Just a mystery
1: murder novel, which Leopold was obsessed with. That definitely happened. Okay,
0: yeah, not. You just killed his son. Like, I mean, obviously they were hoping he didn't know that yet. But when you're freaking out, you know, dropping this money off, it's gonna be kind of hard to follow those instructions. That's too many plans, Mm -hmm. if you ask me.
1: Well, that's the ransom taken care of. So continuing to work backwards, they plan the murder. They decided to tape the blade of a wood chisel and bludgeon the victim with the handle to knock him out. Leopold and Loeb felt they should both be culpable, so they would put a rope around the unconscious boy's neck and each pull an end until the victim was dead. What to do with the body? Leopold had that covered. He often guided bird-watching tours at the Wolf's Lake Nature Preserve on the Illinois-Indiana border. Nathan knew the perfect spot to hide the body in a drainage ditch where nobody goes. Well, apparently Minky
0: or whatever his (laughs) fucking name is definitely goes there.
1: Mm -hmm. All right, it's time for Leopold and Loeb to prove to themselves they are exceptional men and not just little rich boys. They hopped in their rental car and parked in front of the Harvard Boys' School. They were hyped up and had no particular target in mind. The first boy they wanted was 9-year-old Johnny Lawson, who came bounding out of the school, but he ran in the opposite direction to go play baseball. Then, Bobby Franks came out. Bobby was a friend and neighbor of Loeb, and they often played tennis together. They were also second cousins. Loeb yelled out and told Bobby to come over to the car. They wanted to give him a ride home. Bobby looked back, puzzled. Both of their houses were less than a block from the school. It would take more time to get in and out of the car than it would for him to just walk. Mm. Loeb realized this wasn't going to work, so he switched tactics. Instead saying he had a brand new modern tennis racket that he wanted to show him. Bobby thought about it for a second and then decided to hop in the back seat of the rented Willie's night, and Loeb joined him.
0: Honestly though, I would too. Yeah, modern tennis racket? Yeah. Please. Of Please show me a modern tennis I racket. See that shit. <laughs> this is where the story gets murky. It
1: was certainly the last time Bobby Franks was seen alive, but both Leopold and Loeb categorically deny killing Bobby. It appears that as soon as Bobby entered the car, Loeb whacked him on the back of the head with the wooden handle, but Bobby wasn't knocked out instantly as they figured, and there was a struggle. Yeah,
0: I, I don't, I know, I don't know. It seems hard to just like you know hit anybody. It's, it's not. James you know. Bond on N sixty four. You yeah. can't just whack them in the head and they're knocked out. <laughs> yeah, it's just like I feel like everybody knocks out a little differently. right? Definitely. Yeah. And and if you're not hitting them on a knockout point, like mm. just the
1: back of the head, sure, it'll like go for the chin or something.
0: Yeah. The yeah. Temple. Remember the remember the wise words of um um what's his name Street Fighter at Walzer said everybody you can knock anybody out if you hit them in the chin. Austin? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One Punch Man? Yeah, One Punch Man. (laughs) Kind of looks like him, too.
1: (laughs) Just kidding. I love you, Austin. Loeb then started stabbing the boy with the chisel to try and kill him that way. Still, the boy struggled, and they were finally able to subdue him by choking him with a gag on their way to Wolf Lake. As they drove, they wrapped Bobby's corpse in a car blanket, and after darkness fell, they carried the body to the predetermined culvert. Leopold had put on the jacket he used when doing bird tours and switched his shoes to rubber boots. This perfect dumping site wasn't so good. It wasn't big enough to entirely encase the boy's body, and his right foot was sticking out of the pipe. Leopold told Loeb, don't even trip dog, nobody walked on this path. And as the two sauntered back to the car, they were disappointed that they would have to clean up all the blood all over the floor and back seats before returning it. It didn't stop them from going to celebrate phase one with some hot dogs at the Dew drop in.
0: Oh, that sounds fun.
1: It actually does. The yeah. dew do drop in sounds pretty fun. Do good.
0: drop in. Okay, uh, like interesting. It's a
1: double enton. Mm. Like, hey,
0: do drop in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I get it yeah. now. All right. Hey. And you know, every worker in this place wants to kill themselves every time somebody fucking says that. It's like at Cane's. When oh. you go to Raising Cane's, have you ever gone there? Yes. And they say, hey, 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 want some chicken today? I'm sorry, workers at Raising Cane's. Um, this one that's like right over here on Radio Drive, when it's open, there's always like 10 fucking cars online. I've never not seen it any time of day. There's just cars backed up in there. And I'm sure if they say that, they probably want to off themselves. Hey, hey,
1: hey, want some chicken today? Oh,
0: God, stop it.
1: Yes, I do, actually. (laughs) Thank you for asking. In Leopold's autobiography, he describes the pair's state after the murder.
0: Dick was in high spirits. The central part of the scheme was accomplished. The tricky part... The risky part. Now, there remained only the collection of the ransom. Just as we'd planned weeks ago, we called the victim's house. I did the talking with Richard, crowded in the booth next to me. This was George Johnson, I said. Their son had been kidnapped. They'd get a letter first thing in the morning containing instructions for a safe return. Now, okay, Loeb is the power bottom, right? Loeb is the definitely
1: the. The manipulator. The brains. Okay. Yeah. He's the alpha? Yeah. Okay. Leopold is ugly and just kind of along for the ride.
0: If you're a power bottom, though, an alpha can be a power bottom, right? Well, a power bottom means you fuck from the bottom. You top yeah, that's from the I'm bottom. Saying. That's yeah. what I'm saying. So he yeah. he was probably that guy. Yeah.
1: Okay. Sure. So right. I don't know. Leopold seems like a submissive bitch. <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> well,
0: you mean if you're like an alpha in life, you're probably submissive- in okay, the bedroom, so you maybe. think they roll reverse that way? No, I thought that's what you were saying. No, because Dick
1: Loeb is uh handsome, confident, mm-hmm. cocky. Yeah. I don't think he's getting topped from the bottom by Leopold at all. Okay. I think Leopold is still the bitch.
0: Okay. I could see it going either way. Mm.
1: Mm. Not me. Rolls reverse. Not me. <laughs> I may know too much about them. <laughs> After the call, they drove the rental a block away from Leopold's house and furiously cleaned the blood out with a garden hose and a brush. Mm. The next day, May 22nd, the two met up to go wait by the Champion Automotive Building for their satchel of cash. According to Leopold, Loeb was as excited as if he were going to the World Series. He even tried to whistle, even though he didn't know how. As they were taking the final steps to their waiting spot, they glanced a newspaper headline. Body of boy found in swamp. Leopold almost jumped out of his pants. Loeb was calmer. He was still mad, of course. After all, Leopold had assured him no one would ever find the body. Now they had an important decision to make. Did they abandon phase two? Was there a chance the Franks family was not aware that the body had been discovered? They decided to wait it out in the alley. The train came steaming by, and no satchel was thrown. Mm. Phase two was a failure. And with the failure of phase two, Cody, is where we're going to pick it
0: up next week for the stunning conclusion
1: of Leopold
0: and Lowe. Here's what I want to know. After that, the headline, they saw the headline and the news rack. Which one of them took off their hat and stomped on it?
1: Oh, in an old-timey fashion? Uh
0: The old-time anger stomp. Yeah.
1: With their like arms up by their sides yeah. and stuff too.
0: Stomping yeah. on that hat. Bang, 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 what, bang. What
1: did the hat ever do to them? I don't know why they took their frustration. I guess that's better than their wife
0: True. taking it out True. on a hat. True. This is a fascinating This is a fascinating story because it's like the pair is so unique, I think, in many ways. Um you know what they this kind of, like in all seriousness what it reminds me of? Uh the movie Rope. Do you remember that one? Rope. Yeah, the Hitchcock one where they like they're the rich guys and they have the body in the little thing in like a chest and then they have all these guests over and they think they're so smart because nobody will find that body in there. Well, Cody, it is based on the
1: Leopold and Loeb events. Is it? The nineteen forty eight film. Ooh
0: shit. Okay. (laughs) Perfect King I would recommend anybody to watch that. It's very good. It's like a Hitchcock movie that only cuts I don't Rope know if it cuts is at all.
1: Adapted from, Rope is adapted from Patrick Hamilton's 1929 play of the same name, which itself was based on the Grizzly, Leopold, and Loeb case of
0: 1924. Wow. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, the actors in that movie- Rope uh, is, or purports to be, a one-shot film. Yeah. It It's crazy to watch when you see modern movies and they're cutting like every two seconds. Oh, yeah. And you watch that and it's just like, I don't know. It's just so, it's like watching a- play almost like a yeah. really good play um of course it's got what's his that's, name.
1: that's uh dune it? that's uh not Dunkirk um
0: 1917 yeah one take well I don't think it actually was no but it, but uh, it looks like it yeah yeah they they're very good at they whatever. hide the cuts in like uh it, did you watch it uh you didn't uh yeah they hide the cuts really good isn't it always like when they look away from the main actor or something they hide the cuts like one time they went through a, a building and there was a bunch of
1: soldiers pissing mm-hmm. on the outside and it just like panned past those soldiers okay. like okay well there's a cut obviously. yeah
0: okay all right well yes but Rope Alfred Hitchcock movie watch it I'm very gonna. good it's uh it's quite good and I think you will if I notice the similarities I'm like they reminds me of these guys because it's two two dudes two rich dudes. They just like think they're smarter than everybody else, and it's just comes back and bites them in the ass. James Stewart's in it. Yep. How he, about God, that? God, he's so good. Jimmy Stewart's great. Fucking awesome. I wish I'd talk like him. You do? Yeah.
1: Oh, Arch, oh it's a wonderful life. <laughs>
0: How's that? That made-up accent. Ever yeah. good? They call that. The ma- the North Mid-Atlantic. Mid-Atlantic, yeah. Yeah. It's like a hybrid of a whole bunch oh, of accents. Yeah.
1: That's how you sound it if you wanted to sound fancy, yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah. Not that off, not that not that far off from the penguin. Pretty
1: much penguin, mm-hmm. basically penguin. Well, he yeah. wanted to be fancy. He just uh, got sent the wrong way down the sewers. You know, <laughs> poor poor <laughs> <Right>. penguin. <laughs> right. Uh geez. All right, that's fantastic. This is a great first part. I'm happy. Oh yeah, it. it's uh, I cut it off. Sooner than my notes were, but I think this is a better spot. I really do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it will uh, build the suspense because For sure. these two skulls have just realized their master plan is not Idiot. going as planned. Idiot edge lords. Yeah. If yeah. you
1: want to tell us about a master plan, you should uh, <laughs> fill out a form submission at bumblebuttpodcast.com.
0: Yes. Absolutely.
1: Please do that. It comes to us f- exactly like an email, my friend. Uh, exactly like an email it's so easy it's so easy another thing you can do is bop the follow button on spotify that would be a godlike thing to do and leave us five-star review on apple itunes if you ever if you get a chance if you get around to it if you're still even on apple itunes i have no idea
0: we did get two i they're not written but uh we did get two five stars so thank you oh perfect to whom's done that but it sounds like you are definitely in the minority that's for listeners
1: Another great way to support the show is with your money, and you can do that at patreon.com slash Podcast. Cody, we got a new Patreon.
0: Yeah, we did. Hell yeah, we did. Uh, We need to thank Roxanne. Thank you so much. Roxanne, you're a monster. Thank you very much. Sounds like Jimmy Nolegs is happy with his... Uh, care package that he has received roxanne should be getting one soon as well roxanne will as well that's wonderful jimmy no
1: shout out again anyway also roxanne i assume this is the same one sent us a letter a form submission that says leopold and the congo i just recently found your podcast and i love it i've been listening in my backyard and i've been working out there and my neighbors will no longer look me in the eyes Two birds, one stone. It's perfect. Yeah, fuck neighbors. Oh, yeah. Cody, you had a restraining order Yep, yep.
0: That. Apparently, when I was visiting last week, I had arrived. Uh, when I arrived, they had just stopped yelling at each other. So that was fun. Who, your sister and the neighbors? No, the neighbors. Whoever, the two people in the household were yelling and cursing at each wow. other. I wish I would have heard it, but unfortunately, yeah. I didn't. Wow, wow. I just started your Idi Amin episodes and was very
1: surprised when you indicated the Belgians took a hands-off policy towards Congo because they literally took a hands-off approach in the Congo. King Leopold II was absolutely brutal, and there are entire generations of Congolese that were disfigured and had their hands removed. So, I remember saying that. I absolutely remember saying that. Is this, um... And I was so wrong. Because I did looked up Leopold and he I could fucking do a whole series about the he ruler is a of sick the cock. Very sick. Okay. So Roxanne, thank you for everything. Uh yeah, fuck you, King Leopold. Wait, Leopold's the name of my guy.
0: Yeah, you got a lot of Leopolds in this. Is this also a Leopold? I clicked away from the email. Uh <laughs> yeah, it's uh-uh. King Leopold and Leopold. Okay, King Leopold. You're absolutely right. Wait, All is right. it Loeb? Leopold and Loeb? Loeb. <laughs> Loeb. <Lobe. laughs> is, is this Leopold too? Yeah, they're all Leopolds, I okay. guess. Everyone's all what Leopolds
1: you're shitheads, Leopolds. <laughs> Leopold's fuck you. They make good uh scopes for your rifle, Leopold. Okay. Yeah, but that's L E O P U L D, I think. Leopold.
0: Yeah, Leopold not a doesn't get used much anymore, does it? Certainly not, because it's pretty poncy. Mm. It's pretty,
1: pretty, pretty, pretty lofty.
0: Mm. Yeah. hmm Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, do you got any other business to take care of? I don't believe I do. Well, shit, son of a gun. And, well, what did I just see on Generation Kill? I rewatched Generation Kill Ooh. again, because that is a good show. It is very good. It's like, uh, son of a bitch,
0: goddamn, the price of Copenhagen. No. I don't know what are you talking about? I just remember shit, the part where he's piss like, and fuck. The price of Copenhagen just went up. <laughs> I just remember where he's uh, What's that shit they're drinking, and they're like storming Iraq in their Hummer in the middle of the night, and he's like listening to I can't think of that song. Teenage Dirtbag. Yeah.
1: Well, that yeah, you're thinking of two different scenes, but yes, they, yeah. The the stuff they're eating is rip fuel.
0: Rip fuel. I that's think that's what scene. it's called. Does this shit fuel. still exist?
1: I don't think so, because it's Stacker 2.
0: Ephedrine shit. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. All right. How yeah. do they get high over there, then? <sighs> Adderall, like everybody <laughs> else, I guess. I guess
1: so. That's a good show, though. Hell, oh, yeah. That's a good show. Hell, Watch I, Generation 2. I, I highly recommend it. Do you it. know why it's a good show? Made Skarsgard. by David Simon, oh, creator of The God. Wire. Is it? Yeah. I figured it was because of Skarsgård. Well, of course. I like when he's uh, when he's like, it's nighttime and they have their goggles on and stuff and they're stuck on the bridge. And then he just gets super wide eyed and he goes, there's men in the trees. And then oh they just start God. shooting. That's scary.
0: Uh, yeah. I don't think that movies, I guess the wire wasn't that far off from real life. So I'm sure generation kill was pretty close. It's to based
1: it. on a book from the guys that were actually mm, in the, the detectives. Recon. Yeah. Yeah, the, I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, The Wire is, too. Yeah, but I was talking about Generation Kill. Oh, you know, that I was, was like based detectives. off Detectives. Of, yeah, yeah. It was. Oh, the
0: Generation Kill's from mm-hmm, book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, shit. Mm-hmm.
1: From those first recon guys, yeah. Yikes. Well, anyway, that's going to do it for all of us here at the Bumblebutt Podcast. My name has been Adam. Thank you very much for listening. That's been Cody. Thank, Thank you, you, Cody. Thank you, Adam. And Kelly. Thank you, Kelly, for Ooh. the notes. You're a fucking monster. I Thank love you. you. Thank you, Kelly. I do. I love you. You know what time it is, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. It's time for you to have a nice weekend. Unless it's Tuesday. Hmm. <laughs>